You're listening to Smashing 50, the health, fitness and personal development podcast for middle-aged men. Hi, this is Mike from Smashing 50 with another podcast. And if you're interested in pushing the boundaries, smashing limits and uh, thinking about what is and what isn't possible in life, then I think you're going to love this particular podcast. Last week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Frank Rothwell, who's a 70-year-old man from the UK who is right now rowing 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean from La Gomera in, in Spain to Antigua in the Caribbean. And he's doing that for Alzheimer's Research UK. And I should also point out that he's actually doing it solo as well. Um, he's taken the challenge as part of the Talca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge and you can follow the race on Yellow Brick Races app. Frank left La Gomera on Saturday the 12th of December 2020 and is hoping to arrive on Valentine's Day next year. Uh, now you can find Frank on all the usual social media channels at Frank Rothwell and you can also go online to www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Frank Rothwell to donate to his page and that's for Alzheimer's Research UK. Now Frank's crazy life and his... Um, ambition to partake in all kinds of different challenges started back in the 1980s when he started to run marathons um it, it wasn't anything more than that at the time he just wanted to do something to challenge himself uh, he then found himself uh, taking part in the scottish six-day trials motorcycle races up in ben nevis in scotland that quickly escalated and before he knew it he was buying a yacht and sailing around the world. He sailed the Northwest Passage, he's sailed around Cape Horn, he's, um, he's a heli skier. Uh, he spent five weeks I think with Bear Grylls on a Channel 4 TV programme called The Island. He builds cold fired Land Rover steam traction engines and his motto in life is that you're never too old so uh, i hope you're gonna enjoy this episode with uh, with frank as he tells us all about his uh, his upbringing and what inspires him to uh, to go on challenges like rowing across the atlantic so my first question to frank was to discover where this incredible drive and passion for life came from uh, and i started asking him some background about his life favorite subjects. Um, I come from a working class background. Um, I left school at 14. Um, I left school at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. At 3 o'clock I was working. In life I've been lucky three ways. Um, first of all, I've been pretty healthy. I've never smoked. Um, I, uh, I've had prostate cancer. However, um, I've been pretty, pretty healthy. Um, I've been lucky in love. I've been married to my darling wife, Judith, for 50 years. Uh, we got married as teenagers. And, um, and also where I've been lucky is I've enjoyed work. I've enjoyed every job I've had. I've really, really enjoyed doing things. Um, I've enjoyed work so much. There was one job I would have had. I would have done it for no money because I wanted to do it so much. Which is, yeah. uh, I left school um, again, 14, and I became a farm tractor mechanic. And I worked all over the northwest of England and farm tractors. Um, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a bulldozer mechanic. There was no opportunities in 65 for bulldozer mechanic until they started building the M62 motorway between Lancashire and Yorkshire. 
So at the age 19, I went and got a job there as a bulldozer mechanic, and I loved it. Uh, by the time I was 20, and I worked there for a year, um, I, I got a job in Zambia as a, a bulldozer mechanic foreman. Uh, at 20, you can't imagine that, can you, know, sending somebody at 20 years old halfway across the world to be a foreman. Um, well, that's what Judith himself did. We were married then. And uh, I worked out there for a couple of years. And then when I came back, I set up my own little business, which uh, I've been working on pretty well ever since. I've got two children. I've got, they're both about 45 years old. The business is going from strength to strength. And I've now retired, leaving the, them the business to carry on and continue to grow it. And so, well, when did you start getting into challenges and, you know, into really challenging yourself? And where did that mindset come from? Because I, I know from reading about your, your history that, you, you know, you've done a few different things before, haven't you? Yeah, I think the, the, the first, you're right, the first thing I did really was when marathons came on the scene, like the early 80s, and uh, I could see there was um, people who were no different to me who'd never run before all of a sudden running marathons. I thought, oh, maybe I could do that, you know. Um, but I run like a car toys because <laughs> as a kid, uh, I was useless at all sports. I, when they were playing football, they stand all, all the lads against the wall, all, you know, all picking the teams. I was the one that always got last, you know, and if there wasn't a place for me, I used to have to go and fag the ball behind the nets, you know. I was absolutely useless. I was pretty strong, but I couldn't put it into coordination for a sport. But like... When I was like mid thirties, when the marathons came on the scene, I started started running a little bit. And before you know it, yeah, I'd done a four and a half hour marathon, and I was absolutely over the moon with that. Because at the time when mar marathons were, were new, they used to have like half a dozen buses following, picking people up. But they don't do that now because everybody finishes. Yeah, amazing. So, so 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 that mindset just came from from doing marathons, really, and and that kind of pushed you to the next thing and the next thing. Is that right? I think so, yeah. The, the ability to realise that I could actually do these things, where as a kid, if somebody tells you you're rubbish at playing football, you think you're rubbish, so you don't do it, you know? And uh, so that, that, then I found there was something I could do, uh, even though badly, not badly, but coming in last in everything I did. Yeah. So I, I moved on from that, and um, my, my son, by this time, was like seven or eight years old, I bought him a little motorbike, so I started... Um, and he was doing motorcycle trials, which is where you ride motorcycles over rocks and up riverbeds. And uh, I got really interested in that. I, I, I competed in something called the Scottish Six Days Trial, where you ride motorcycles over um, Ben Nevis in proper organised uh, race, which has been going every year since about 1904. And uh, I, I competed in that uh, for six or seven years. Uh, that gave me more confidence. So then um, we decided we'd go on a, a holiday and have a go on a boat. And, and uh, we actually stopped to do it in Australia. And the, the kid, that was fantastic. The, the children and ourselves were all on an adventure holiday, all participating on, on equal levels, you know. And we booked chance of this boat for a week. Eventually we, we, we extended it another fortnight because we were having such a good um, t time with the kids and having good times with them. Working together as a unit, it was brilliant. So, t tell us about some of the other. What what happened with your boating? And so, so you, you've you've sailed around some fairly, you know, interesting places, right? Oh yeah, but the, once we we all went to night school, we all got our day skippers, 
the Royal Yacht Club Association Daisy for qualifications. Uh, we all got our VHF licenses and we bought a yacht and uh, started sailing. Um, within seven or eight years, I'd bought a yacht to sail around the world. So in the year 2000 to 2003, I sailed my own yacht around the world. And then I had enough for sailing, sold the boat, and then I was in a pub and I met a bloke who just sailed something called the Northwest Passage. Well, I'm an expert at sailing, but I didn't know what the Northwest Passage was. So the more I got to learn about it, the more I wanted to do it. So I said to Judith, I said, Judith, can I have three years off work to uh, sail the Northwest Passage? She says, yeah, we won't. So we went out together and we, we, we sourced the boat to, to go and, and, and do this. And um, just in case you don't know, the Northwest Passage is a sea which joins the Pacific and the Atlantic over the top of uh, America and Canada. And it's frozen over for... Uh, 40 weeks of the year or 40 odd weeks of the year so there's, there's only a narrow window that you can get through and I was the 165th boat of any kind to go through the North West Passage which is particularly um, remarkable um, and so I, I ticked that box again I'd had enough of sailing I tried to sell the boat I couldn't sell it but then I thought well I've got everything I need here I've got the skills I've got the time I've got the health I've got the boat I can afford to do it I can have time off work I should do something else, so I set up again and sailed around South America, just going across the Atlantic through the Panama Canal, turn left, around the bottom of Cape Horn and back home again. And um, when I did that, I realised that, uh, or I found out, I was only the 10th person in the world ever to do that, believe it or not. You think the loads of Yanks who want to do that, we need to sail, sail around North America and South America. <laughs> no, it's just not on their list, but it was for me. Amazing. So, but, but like, but what, what was the mindset that said, right, I've done a marathon, I've done a, I've done a couple of things, I'm going to sail around the world? I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, I think for, if I go back to being a kid, I think I always goes back to being a kid. Like when somebody says you can't do that, you, you're rubbish at that, you know, you, you can't do it. And uh, But then when you find that you can and you meet somebody of the same level of, of intelligence in you, as yourself and the same physical fitness and the same from the same environment and you see them doing it you think well if you can do it I can do it and that's really where I'm, I'm now raised if somebody else has done it then there's no reason why I can't do it it's the same when I go skiing I'm never a pretty good skier I've got heli skiing in helicopters in north of Canada and uh, if we see some ski marks down the, down the track well somebody else has been down there so let's get down there you know? amazing so, I mean it's that mindset that you know if somebody else on earth can do it then why can't I Absolutely. Absolutely. Would, would that be your motto in life then? What, what, if you've got a motto in life? Yeah, listen here. The, the motto is, I, I'm just going to tell you a story. You might edit this out or whatever. But my father, I'm the eldest of five children, and my father loved brass band music. And uh, brass bands, you don't get paid if playing in a brass band. But then the Territorial Army had a brass band. So he went and joined the Territorial Army. Then he got paid for it. Brass band, I got paid for it. And um, after a few, few months in the Territorial Army band, an officer said to him, why don't you join the army full time? Well, he had been during the, during the war, he'd been in the, the army, you know. So he, he went through all the process to go and join the, rejoin the army. And he was really excited because the band he was going to go and play in was going to be at um, posted to Singapore. Well, it meant the whole family would go to Singapore, you see. So we, we were all excited about my dad joining the army. 
And then at the last interview, the, the officer said to him, he says, actually, Rothwell, he says, you're too old. And it really, not, not my dad for six, and my dad said to me, he says, never let anybody tell you you're too old. Also, one of my mottos in life is don't be a coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right? Do it now. Start doing something today to be able to achieve your amb ambition. Start working at it. Now, no matter what age you are, get on with it. Start moving towards d doing it. Don't be a coulda, woulda, shoulda. And you're never too old. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about this challenge and why you're doing it. You're, you're doing it for Alzheimer's Research UK. You've got a £1 million target uh, for dementia research and Iceland Foods Char Charitable Foundation are going to double any donation. For me personally, the, the, you know, this is an amazing charity. Um, so I, I say thank you to, to you, Frank, for, for that, genuinely. Well, when I first started with this um challenge it was purely for myself i was very i wanted to do it for myself and uh, it was a great opportunity to be able to go in an organized race it's got safety at first and um, there's plenty of training and you've got, you've got to abide by their rules or else you don't go in the in the race it is a race um and then when i started reading the profiles of some of the other races they were all raising money for a charity so, oh, well, I could do that. I wondered which charity I should support. So I thought, which, what's affecting me most now? And I feel that I have now more friends who are now affected by uh, Alzheimer's, either directly or indirectly, that um, it would be a good thing to raise, raise funds for. So I asked a friend of mine, advice, who just happens to be the, the chairman of Iceland Frozen Foods, and asked advice on which charity to support, and he says it's research what we need. So um, Alzheimer's Research became my chosen charity. And what's happened is that it's now taken over. Uh, where before I was motivated for doing this challenge, my own personal tick box, now it's not. I'm now so motivated for raising funds for this charity. And uh, not just funds, but also awareness. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about the challenge that you're doing starting Saturday? You're, you're, you're getting in a boat on your own and you're going to row across the Atlantic. What are you going to eat? How are you going to sleep? How long is it going to take you? Rowing the Atlantic is, is 3,000 miles, but and I'm doing it solo. Now, we've got to have some assistance here because for a person to row solo, there's only certain routes that you can do solo because you can't do it if the wind or the tides or the currents are against you. So the route we're taking from Lagomora, which is next to Tenerife, if you don't know, next to Tenerife, we're going to go, first of all, we'll go south. The winds, particular island, come from the north or the northeast. And that, those winds are blowing us in the general direction of Antigua. Once we get south, about another 500 to 1,000 miles, then the winds start to come from the east, so they blow you across the Atlantic. And these, these winds are called the trade winds. In fact, uh, when Christopher Columbus left Spain, he actually left from this island where we are, I suppose where we are sat. And, uh, so, and he, he went on this trade wind route where the, the winds blew him across the Atlantic with the, in, in a square rigger. So... 
there's not many, not many routes that you can take. No, as a solo, this is one of them. So, and because of that, that if we're not rowing, the, the boat will still be generally, generally being blown. And the, because it's blowing us, the waves go that way. And also we've got the, the Gulf Stream current, which at this point also goes across the uh, Atlantic from east to west. So we've got all these three things giving us assistance. Are you going to row for like an hour on and an hour off or something like that? Most of two, three or four rowers, they actually do one hour on or two hours on and two hours off. One hour is not long enough really for you to have a rest because by the time it's raining, you've got in, you've got yourself dry, you've laid, you've laid down, then it's time to get up again. You've also got to eat in that time. So uh, I'll be probably trying to get up to five or six hours if I can do and then have maybe three hours off another five or six hours of three hours off and then i want to roll 14 hours a day in the 24 period i want to roll 14 hours so whatever's left then to finish up for 14 hours i'll do that and then i can get a six hour sleep which i'll try and do at night so that i get up right at six o'clock in the morning that's my intention and so as you're sleeping the you know the winds should be blowing you in the right direction well hopefully yes so the, hopefully that's it, the idea and we've we've positioned the ball the rudder on the boat, point in the right direction, and uh, maybe put, put a drogue out. A drogue is something that you throw off the back of the boat, which slows it down or steers it in a particular direction. So um, that's something else that we do. But if, if while you're out there, if the wind blows from the wrong direction, well, you don't want to have to roll the same amount of ocean twice. So what we do, we have something called a sea anchor, which is a big parachute about 10 foot diameter parachute which we put into the sea and, and then we have a 200 meter rope which we attach to the sea anchor and that holds the boat pretty well in place. It might only move half a mile in um, a four hour period. Also if we, if we get a storm, uh, that's also what we use that for us to hold us in place in a storm so that we actually ride over over the waves. It's damned uncomfortable but it's, um, uh, it keeps you you're stable. Uh -huh. What kind of things are you going to do to keep yourself occupied? Well, Rowan's going to keep me occupied. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, music. I've got myself about 120 hours of music of all different kinds. All right, I love heavy rock from ACDC right down to brass band music. I, love, I started to like opera. I like strong lady singers, you know, I like Stella Black and Shirley Bassey. I love that kind of music as well. I love all, I'm lucky, I love all kinds of music. So uh, that's going to keep me. Also, tomorrow I'm going to buy some uh, some books. Um, books that be audio books, I call that. I'm going to get some audio books onto my laptop so I can uh, I can play those as well. And I want to probably some Dickens because I think with Dickens, they're educating you also about what how things were in that period of the mid-1800s, you know, and so I'd like to read some Dickens. Oh, <laughs> listen to somebody else reading some Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need a few batteries. No, because what happens is on, on the board we have solar panels. All right. And the solar panels generate two batteries, which are lithium-ion batteries, so they're very light. They're not as light as big, heavy car batteries, they're a quarter of that weight. And uh, what happens is that the, uh, the, the batteries... Uh, keep them fully charged and there's plenty of sun rays to keep them fully charged and uh, and they provide the power to run the water maker. We 
don't carry water, we make water through, there's a piece of kit which weighs about 20 kilos and costs about three grand, which converts seawater into um, tap water. Amazing. It's nice, it's really soft and sweet. Brilliant. Is, is there anything that you fear about this particular challenge or that you fear in life in general? Um, I think really, uh, with this challenge, everybody on that pontoon, and there's 51 rowers on that pontoon, they all have a little bit of trepidation. You know, they're all being very bravado about it, particularly in the bar at night. But they, they all, I think, are just that unknown, particularly when it's pitch black and it's rough, and you don't know, and you can hear a big wave, you think, is that big wave coming to me? How long is it going to be before it arrives here, you know? And then all of a sudden, crash, bang, walk up, go up in the air, down the boat, swings around, and not, not like where you're expecting it to. Um, I think it's the big waves in the night when there's no no moon, because when you're out there, it's totally, totally black. You know, you, um, you can't see the horizon most of the time if there's no moon. Um, anything else? I think um, I've been married 50 years to a lovely lady called, my wife's called Judith. And she's my best mate. We've been married. We love each other. Love each other more than ever now. You know, she um, she supports me in doing this. Um, so much so, um, I didn't think she would do initially. But if somebody's talking to us and they ask a question, she answers it. Must <laughs> <laughs> be enthusiastic. So I, I'm missing. I'm, going, I'm definitely going to miss Judith. Um, but we do have a satellite phone, and I can phone her twice a day. And if I, can, if I can speak to her, and that's all, all I need to do. Um, a few years ago, I was on a programme called uh, The Island with Bird Grills, and I was a grumpy old man on the island. It was full of young people and, and me. And, um, and during that period, it was five, we were only on it for five weeks, but I didn't speak to Judith for five weeks. It only broke my heart. You know, I really, really missed her. I didn't think I would do. You know, whoa! Yeah, I brought down big style when I heard her voice. She's got, she's got a unique, real northern accent, as my wife does. She's a lovely, lovely lady. So I, I think the thing is I'm concerned about most is, is, is missing Judith. Yeah, and, and that, that's, all, that's, that's your biggest fear in life, is it, as well, missing Judith? Oh, fear in life? My fear in life is failing. Um, I really am frightened of, of setting out to do something and failing. That's a real motivator for me. You know, if I lose like I'm going to fail, I put more effort into it, more energy into it. It's a real motivator for me. It's, that's been in the business, you know. If the business is, things haven't been very good with the business, it tends to get you down, you know, and you can't see a way out of your problems. I started, like, getting up in the morning, an hour earlier, and at the back of our house, we've got a really good hill, you know, and it's right to a mile and a half to the top, but it's steep. And uh, at the top of the hill, there's um, a monument. And what I used to do if I was not feeling too think good about life is I would go up there in the morning and I'd get to the top and I'd try and remember somebody's name off the plaques. And at one time, I could remember 20 names on the plaques, you know, from people who died in the First World War and Second World War. So, um, so that's how I overcome that, that, that fear. The best way to pass time is to work it to death, you know, work it to bits. So that, that's what I'm going to do on this. I'm going to give it all I can. I'm not going out to win it. I'm not, 
if I could, I'd just like to finish in the mix. Um, it's, I could probably tell you I think I'm going to be going last, which is really, really good for me. Because as I'm rowing along now, I'm, I'll be catching people up. If I, if, at one time, I wanted to go first because there'd be more people on the on the dock cheering us off if I went first. Uh, but uh, then what happens is you're only out there two minutes and, and all the big fast drum blows come flying past you. You know, oh. <laughs> and I want to set up the back and try and achieve something by catching people up. That's now, I will. I think I will because I'm, I'm pretty strong and I'm pretty fit. And, uh, well, I'm not pretty fit because I'm not been training for five weeks because the boat's been on its way down here. But I am pretty strong. For, for a 70-year-old, I'm, I'm very strong. Amazing, amazing. Um, what's next for Frank after this? Fantastic, my favourite question. I can't wait to get home because what happened, I'll just, tell you, I'll just backtrack a little bit, is because seven or eight years ago, due to myself, we're on a motorbike, and we're on a motorbike as well, and we went to a steam traction engine rally. And I've, I've been to these steam traction engine rallies, and you see blokes driving miniature ones, and I tend to think, oh, they must be really good engineers to make that. And then I find out that you can buy them as a kit. And then, goodness gracious, we found somebody making these kits. So I thought, oh, I'll build one, but I want a bigger. So I bought the biggest kit they did, which is a, a model of a Ford and C-type wagon. 1910 with this uh, coal boiler on it and uh, all the components came and I, I, I decided to wait till I got all the components before I started it and I spent about a thousand hours building this this um, this model of a wagon and it was about as big as a Ford Transit pickup so quite a big one about 11 or 12 foot long it just fits in the garage Oh, and then when that's finished, driving it around the village is fantastic. You know, toot tooting everybody, and you pull outside the oven, and somebody your shandy out, you know. Somebody comes and shop next door with a pork pie for it. It's fantastic. I loved it so much. I loved the, the actual doing it. I thought, I wonder if I can make something that's trademark as my own. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get a Ford Transit chassis. I'll put a steam engine in that, and I can put anything I want on the bike, you know. I thought, that'd be good. So uh, while I was looking at that, I thought, oh, actually, to see if it works, I could actually put the steam engine into a chassis of a Land Rover. Wow. And I did. What happened is I took the steam engine out, the steam engine engine, sorry, the engine of the steam engine out of the wagon, and I shoehorned it into the, a Land Rover. I had to take all the gearbox and all the four-wheel drive and the like off the Land Rover. And wow, I've got the only coal-fired Land Rover in the world. <laughs> PC came and filmed me and uh, on the website, and they had two million hits of me driving, doo -doo, driving me coal fired land and I got it road legal and everything. Oh, it's fantastic! Amazing. But now I enjoyed doing that so much, I thought, um, I wonder, let's try something really hard. So I'm, I'm going to build a steam traction engine from scratch that makes all the components and everything. And uh, I'm going to do it in my garage. So my garage wasn't big enough. So as soon as lockdown happened, I got the builders up and got a, they extended my garage. We put a big crane in the middle of it. So I've now got a garage which is like 40 foot square or 12 meters by 12 meters with a big lathe in it, massive lathe and a smaller lathe and a milling machine and a drill. And um, I'm going to do that now. The, um, the things you can't do or are too technical for me to do 
and um, that is to build the boiler. So it's got to be certified. So somebody's already made me the boiler. And um, I've got all the, somebody else who's a pattern maker and he's made all the patterns for this. And it's, um, so, and it's actual, uh, a model, it's a, a Foster Wellington, uh, which was made about 1902 or three. What happened is in, in that era, um, the steam traction engines became bigger and bigger for agricultural use. But these, these farmers were also running up and down the roads and the, the bridges weren't big enough to carry them. You know, the bridges were collapsing, the roads were getting ripped up. So the government brought a law in that it's, uh, the biggest steam traction engine you could use on the road was actually got to weigh no more than five tonnes and it had to be driven by one man. So that's what I'm going to build. It's going to be five tonnes and it'll, I'll be able to drive it myself. And I can't wait to make a start on that. And that might be a two-year project. It's a bit of a Fred Dibner thing. I never met Fred, but uh, his daughter phoned me up from time to time, asking me to take my land over to shows that she's at. And I've never been to, never been to any traction rallies yet with my own kit. I've only been to see other people's kit. I don't people come in and miles with me. I just want to do it, you know. Amazing, Frank. I, lo I absolutely love your energy and your spirit and your just go for it. It's just amazing, amazing. Well, thank you very much. But just yep. one, final, well, one final word from you, Frank. If you could tell us, what would be your message of inspiration to someone who's listening to this podcast and is struggling to you know, live up to their best potential? What, what, would you, what would you say, your message of inspiration? Well, my message of inspiration is that forget about me. I'm here, 70 years old, a businessman. I can sort things out. I'm pretty strong, and, and, and I've sailed 80,000 miles. Right? So I know what to expect. Along the pontoon, there's a 21-year-old girl, and she got her inspiration from working as a deckhand on a little yacht in the Caribbean. She was lucky to get this job. And her, this girl has been out there. She's raised all the money to do this. She's here doing it herself and she's 21 years old so you don't need me to look at her because she's no experience of life she had a journal of school like four, four years ago and she'd been around to knocked on all the doors she comes from first it's called Jasmine Harrison and oh and I don't know her vote name but wow I've got so much admiration for her not for me it's just I don't think what I'm doing, particularly apart from the physical strength, is anything special. But what should be special? Think about what you want to do. Keep it within your, your capabilities. Also, you've got to push yourself a little bit. You've got to go a little bit farther. Push, your, um, push yourself a little bit farther than you, you, you're comfortable at. Don't make it too easy for yourself, but push yourself. Get on with it. I think you can all agree that there are no more excuses. At 70 years old, Frank is rowing solo 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, so the next time you're thinking about why you should, or sh in fact, why you shouldn't do something, then uh, have a little think about Frank. Keep smashing it. You're listening to Smashing 50, the health, fitness and personal development podcast for middle-aged men.